That man. Well, if you got your Bible, open up to Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 6. We're in a series on Gideon called uh, uh, What If? And uh, the idea behind it is we believe God's going to do some great things in our church this fall. And the question is, what if God wants to use you? What if he wants to use you? What if he wants to use you to be a blessing to other people? What if he wants to use you to further his kingdom? Uh, what if God wants to use you and wants to work in, his, in your life? And we can talk about the ASU baseball team. I was talking to texting with Kevin here a while back during this last season. They had a slogan uh, this past year, why, don't, why not us? Why not us? They've been getting close every year, World Series getting close, and last year their motto was why not us, man. It was a perfect deal, and I, I can't remember, I was preaching a sermon one day, he texted me, he said, you know our slogan's why not us? Well, I want to just take that thought today and ask why not you? Why not you? What if God wants to use you to be a blessing to somebody else in their life this year, spiritually, he wants to use you to be a blessing to somebody else. Why not, why not you? And if you do that, man, if you allow God to use you in any way, then what will happen is in the process, you'll come to know God in a greater way because this is how God works in our life. He calls us to do something, and when we, when we do it, we come to know him in a greater way. So why not you? And, and I'm not talking about you got to do something like totally radically crazy right off the get-go. It's not like God might call you to be a missionary to Africa or start a whole new ministry. Or, I mean, he might, but it might be something completely different. Maybe he just might call you to, to work with our youth department or to volunteer in our children. Or he might just call you just to come to church every day for the next month. Or he might ask you to pray for somebody or share your story with somebody. Or he might ask you to be baptized. I had a lady in first service been coming to our church for 10 years. She made a decision in first service today. She wanted to be baptized and give God the glory following up with her. Maybe God's calling you to be saved. Maybe he's calling you to join a small group or to lead a small group. It's going to be a hundred different things that God might ask you to do to be a blessing to somebody else. The real question is, will you step out in faith and, and do it? Because if you do, you'll come to know God in a greater way, the reality of God. Not just like somebody else tells you about God, but you'll come to know God, Right? the reality of God in your life. So, you know, when I first got saved, I, I didn't get saved until I was 24. I had a lot of baggage in my life and a lot of things going on. I started going to church and got involved in a, in a small group for a while. And, and we moved to a town called Enid, Oklahoma, my wife and I. And I've been going there, and this one pastor was kind of discipling me. And, and one day, the, the youth pastor, Cliff Cummings, says, hey, I want to take you out to lunch. I said, okay, you know, free lunch. By the way, we've got that free lunch. I think Aaron invited you. Anybody that wants to come, we've got a free lunch for you guys today. But uh, they invited me out to lunch, and then they, they sat down, and they said, hey, man, we, 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 we'd like to ask you to teach 11th grade boys Sunday school class. And I was like, really? You want to ask me to teach a Sunday school class? I don't really think I can do that. I, I didn't really feel I was qualified. I, I hadn't walked with the Lord long enough. I said, you really think I could even do that? And they said, hey, man, we really think that you can do that. And look, we'll give you this curriculum, and you can follow it. you got about 30 minutes on Sunday morning. That's great. Well, we think you can do it. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And, and I don't know in that semester if any one of those kids learned anything, right? But I want you to know, man, God used that class to radically change my life. Because I had to, I had to study to teach them. And while I was studying, God was speaking to me. And because I answered the call just to be a blessing to them, in reality, I came to know God in a greater way. And this is just how God works in our life. And, and you'll see that perfectly in the life of Gideon, all right? So let me just show this to you today. This is uh, Judges chapter 6. I, I'm going to begin in verse 33. And, and, and I do this a couple of things I want you to look for, all right? I want you to know. 
Number one, the weakness of Gideon. Don't be thinking of Gideon as some great hero. He was actually, you'll see this, the weakness of Gideon and the strength of God. Gideon was weak, but God was strong. And that's the way it is in our life. We are weak and God is strong. So we should spend more time with God, all the time we can with God. God is, we are weak, God is strong. Gideon is weak, God is strong. And the other two things that, that Gideon is famous for, if you, if you know the story, number one, he, he puts out a fleece to determine God's will in his life. He puts out a fleece. And the second thing he's know, known for is that God reduces his army. All right, and we're gonna look at both of these things today, but what I want you to see in both of them is the weakness of Gideon and the strength of God. Therefore, you should spend some time with him. All right, let's take a look at it. 633, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and Ketamites gathered together, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the Jezreel Valley. Verse 34, the spirit of the Lord enveloped or clothed Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abzerites, which is his family, rallied behind him. He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh. This is his whole, whole tribe who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, three other tribes. These are four of the 12 tribes of Israel who also came to meet him. Verse 36, then Gideon, then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, that's a key phrase, as you said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. Gideon then said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. The, the same exact thing Abraham once said to God. Please don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it, re let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. That night get his, did as God requested. Only the fleece was dry and dew was over all the ground. So let me set the context of this. If you're new, Israel's got a problem, and the problem is the Midianites. This is a group of people that right about harvest time, they would roll into Israel and basically attack them and steal all their stuff, all right? And this had been happening for seven years in a row, and because of that, they were severely oppressed. They were in famine. If you could just imagine if you know a bunch of guys rolled into San Angelo, and they had a bunch of pickups and guns, and they just came in here and... and on one time a year, there were so many of them, we couldn't stop them, and they just stole all your stuff and left. And they did that for seven years in a row. But after seven years, just imagine how bad everything would be in San Angelo. Our economy would be shot. People would be, would be leaving and going to other places. This is what happened to Israel. And they got so bad that he finally cried out to God, and God came down to do something about it. And he picked a guy named Gideon. Gideon was threshing out wheat in a rind press because he was afraid that the Midianites might see him because Gideon is weak. And God shows up and speaks to him as an angel of the Lord and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now the thing was, Gideon was not a mighty warrior. He was scared threshing out wheat in a wine press, but God called him and saw what he could be and he called him that. And the minute God said it, the power to accomplish it became available in Gideon's life if Gideon was just willing to follow God. But instead, Gideon begins to make excuses. He's like, well, if God is with us, then why is all this bad stuff happening to us, right? 
And if, where is the great deliverer that delivered us from Israel? Where is he? It looks like God has abandoned us and isn't helping us. And the angel of the Lord responded to him. This is in chapter 6, verse 14. Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. Why not you? I'm sending you, Gideon. And the minute he says sending, that means empowering. I'm sending you to go do something about it. And Gideon continues to make excuses. Man, I'm too, I'm too young. How can I deliver Israel? Verse 15, look, my family is the weakest in my tribe and I am the youngest in my father's family. And the angel of the Lord responds, but I will be with you. The Lord said to him, you will strike Midian down as if he were one man, but I'll be with you. But I'll be with you. Hey, I, I know you're the youngest, and I know you're the weakest, and I know you're not that good, but I'll be with you. See, this is the weakness of Gideon versus the strength of God. I'll be with you. This is like Trump's, this is like God's trump card. He says it all the time. If you just read scripture, you think about Moses in Exodus chapter 3, where God says, Moses, I want you to go down and deliver the Israelites from Egypt. He's like, dude, I can't do that. I can't speak. God says, I'll be with you. You'll be fine. I know, man. Coach Brooks, I was talking, I would call him up before he'd play these, these, these games. He'd have these little three, three games, you know, they would play, best of three. And so I'd text him, man, you're going to win this next uh, playoff game. Uh, who you got pitching? And uh, he had two really great pitchers, man. I think Munson and uh, uh, the other guy. What was, his, what was the other guy's name? So he, he, would, he would start the second, the really great guy, he would play the second game. And he said, well, I got a really good pitcher in the first game. And I think probably when those two guys were pitching, I mean, one of them was 15 and one, and the other one was like 11 and two. They just didn't ever lose. Both of them got drafted, by the way, by the big leagues, went in. Uh, and, but I just thought, man, if you're playing and you got either one of those guys pitching, you're probably pretty confident. You feel pretty good you might win that game. Well, I'm saying to you, God's with you. Believer in Jesus, God is with you. You should have some confidence to do what God asks you to do because God is with you. He tells it to Moses. He tells it to Abraham. He tells it to Paul. He tells us, you think about the Psalm 23, one of the most famous Psalms in the Bible. Chapter 23, verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. God's with you. You believe in Jesus? God is with you. You should have some confidence to do whatever God calls you to do. Last verse in the book of the book of Matthew, Jesus, some of the last words he spoke for, he went into heaven. He says, man, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I've commanded you. And just remember, I am with you always. I'm with you. This is God. He's, he's with us. He says to to, to Gideon, who's like, dude, I can't do this because he's weak. God said, don't worry about it. I will be with you. And then, and then Gideon is like, well, dude, if, if you're with me, would you just stick around long enough so I can bring you an offering? And God says, yeah, I'll wait. And so he goes and makes this whole meal. Because why would, because God, Gideon's always looking for a little confirmation to do what God wants him to do. Because he's just weak. So he says, let me just give you an offering. So he goes and makes this whole meal, brings it back, puts it on the rock, Okay, and, and then when he puts it on the rock, the angel of the Lord, who is God himself, takes his staff, you should read it, reaches out and touches the staff on the rock, and when does, fire comes up out of the rock, burns up all the food, and the angel of the Lord goes back into heaven in the flame. Now, I'm just saying, if that happened to you, 
just like Gideon, you would come to know God in a greater way, in a whole new way. And that's what happens to Gideon. He's like, oh, I'm going to die. I saw the Lord. And God says, no, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. And so he builds an altar right there. He calls it uh, Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. I should have died, but instead I have peace. And he worshiped him. Now that little part of the story right there, this is exactly how God works in your life. Don't think that people are out there in the world seeking out God. Don't think there's people walking around San Angelo going, man, I think I'm going to go to church today. Only people going to church today are either believers in Jesus, somebody raised in church, or somebody that God is already working in their life. If you just talk to people in general, there's people out there, they ain't thinking about God. They're just going through life doing their own thing. This is Gideon, dude. He's just a farmer. He's not thinking about God. Romans 3.11 says, none who seek God, no, not one. He's just doing his thing. What happened? God in his grace shows up and speaks to him. The angel of the Lord comes down. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's like, dude, the Lord's with me. Why is all this stuff going on? People just in this world, the only reason you start seeking out God is because God does something in your life first. You believer in Jesus? Think back before you got saved. You're just going through life, doing your thing. You're not thinking about God until God somehow intervened in your life. He takes it. Hey, there's a, real, there's a God out there. And your thought is, well, if there's a God out there, why is our world so messed up? If there's a God out there, why do bad things happen to good people? If there's a God out here, out there, why isn't he working in my life? Why isn't he working in our country? Why isn't he working in our town? And he says, dude, I- I'm calling you to do something. I'm calling you to come help me make it better. I'm calling you to do something with your life to make this a better place. I'm calling you. Who wants to go through their whole life and get down to the end of their life and say, dude, I spent my whole life on me. How about no? How about God's got something more for you? How about he wants to call you into something greater? Right? This is what he does. He calls Gideon. Gideon's like, dude, I can't do that. I'm too young. He said, don't worry about it, man. I'll be with you. Can I just say, if God is with you, you should spend some more time with him. If God is with you, you should spend some more time with him. However much time you're spending with God, you should just level it up. In other words, if you never spend any time with God, you never give him any thought, then you should go to church once a week and give him one week of your life, one day out of a week. Just give him a day out of your week. Surely you can give one day of your week to God. If if you come to church, you're a believer, and you come every once in a while, then maybe you should just come every week. One hour a week you give to God. Now, if you come to church and you give him one hour a week, then maybe you should take it to the next step. Maybe you should come to the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study or join a small group. You say, you know what, God, I'm going to give you another hour. I'm going to press in a little bit more, right? And then maybe if you do that, then maybe you should just start spending some time with him every day. If God is with you, maybe you should spend time with him. Because if, he's, if you spend time with him, he'll reveal himself to you. You'll follow him. God will do something in your life. And you'll come to know him in a greater way, just like Gideon did. When the angel of the Lord shows up and he comes to see God in a whole new way, he fired up. He says, let's go. Chapter 6, verse 33, same song, 
eighth time, the Midianites show up right at harvest time to steal all the nation of Israel's stuff. But on this time, something is different because it says that the Holy Spirit had enveloped Gideon, had come upon Gideon, that had clothed Gideon. So when he sees them coming, he blows a trumpet. Hey, come help me. Let's take these guys on. And so he gets his whole family to come join him. He gets the whole tribe of Manasseh. He gets four tribes. He got 32,000 people joining. That's a lot of people, man. 32,000 people. He's all fired up. He said, let's go kick these guys out of our country. And then he gets a scouting report. Somebody drives up and says, dude, I was on top of the hill over there looking at the Midianites. I was counting and they got 135,000 troops. And all at once Gideon starts backing up. He's like, they got 135,000 troops. So he goes to God, verse 36, and said, man, if you really are going to deliver me like you said, I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm, I, I, I just need to be sure because I'm not sure you're going to be able to do exactly what you, you said. And I'm just going to put this fleece out. I'm going to take this fleece, which is like a piece of you know, for, uh, wool, and I'm going to put it here in the middle of a threshing floor, which a threshing floor would be a big place. They threshed out wheat, a big real packed on top of a hill you know, no vegetation on it. I'm going to put it here in the middle. And if tomorrow morning, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know you're going to do what you said you were going to do. He gets the next morning and it's wet. The fleece is wet. He wrings a whole bowl of water out of the fleece and the ground is completely dry. But then Gideon starts having second thoughts. He's like, oh, that was a dumb idea. Because fleece I mean, it's wool. It's like a, you know, a wool jacket or something. It, it absorbs moisture very easy. Maybe it was a coincidence. Maybe I just put that fleece there and all the moisture got sucked in by the fleece and the ground was still dry. And God, if I, man, I kind of messed up on that. Could I do that again and reverse it this time? Now, people love this passage of scripture because they love to put out a fleece. Oh, man, you know, I've got a new job. I don't know if I should take this job or not. So, God, I'm going to put out a fleece. And if somebody calls me tomorrow, I'll take that as a sign that I should take the new job. I don't know if I should buy this house or not. So I'm going to offer this. And if they take it, that's a fleece. They put out a, they put out a fleece. When you read the story of Gideon and the fleece, I'm just here to tell you, this is not a sign of strength. It's actually an indication of his weakness. Because God had already told him what to do. He's just too afraid to do it. Why is that? Because Gideon is, is weak, right? So it's like putting out a fleece. Just because the Bible tells you something doesn't mean you should do it. It's just recording what that dude did. So in other words, like Abraham married, or you know, Abraham slept with his slave girl, Hagar, and had Ishmael. Not saying you should do that. I mean, the world's still all messed up to this day because of that one action by Abraham, who's the father of faith. It's just the Bible's just honest about people that make big mistakes. Not saying because, because you know what? The story isn't really about Gideon. You know what the story's about? The story's about God. It's not necessarily about Gideon, the hero. Gideon is weak. It's God who, you know what the amazing thing about the story is? That God responded to him. That God in his grace did what he asked him to do. Why? Because God, because God cares about, because God cares about you. God cares about you. God cared about Gideon. 
Gideon, we've got stuff to do, man. If this is what you need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the, I, I'll do that for you. The emphasis is not on Gideon. The emphasis is on God and God's strength. You should spend some time with him. That's what I'm saying. And after this fleece, Gideon's all fired up again, right? So he says, so chapter 7, verse 1, Zerubbabel, that is Gideon and all the troops who were with him, got up early. Let's go, man. And camped beside the spring of Herod, which means trembling. The camp of Midian was north of them, all 135,000 of them in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, chapter 7, verse 2, you have too many troops. I don't think this statement has probably ever been said except right here by God. You've got too many troops. Is there ever a situation in life where you would think, man, I got too much? No, you're just like, we're going to crush them. But you never say, I got too many troops. But God shows up and says to Gideon, you've got too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. You got too many because if I give you the victory with this many, you might take credit for it and say, I did it. So... You, you know, you might say my own strength saved me. So now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. You got too many? Just tell them. If you're scared, go to the house. Now this is a direct fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. This is how Israel was to go into battle. If anybody was scared, they were supposed to go to the house. And it tells us why. Because fear is contagious. Fear is the opposite of faith. And there's plenty of people in your life, even believers, that if you decide to do something for God, they're going to speak fear into you. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you really shouldn't do that. Oh, you shouldn't try that. That sounds like a dumb idea. I don't think that's going to work. Oh, I think this is going to happen. I don't think you should do it. There's always people to speak negatively in your life. And you just need to remember you better be careful who you listen to because fear is contagious. God wants us to live lives of faith. Even when we make mistakes, God has the ability to push us forward. If you're afraid, go home. 22, had to be a weird day. 22,000 people left. Now they have 10,000 troops left. Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, man, you still got too many, bro. You still have too many troops. Take them down to the water and I will test them there and if I say to you, this one can go and you, with you, he can go. But if I say to anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the troops down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with anyone who kneels to drink. I guess maybe like, you know, drinking the water like this and pulling it up and lapping it with your tongue. I don't, it, it's a funny passage of scripture. You think about 10,000 people going down there to drink water. Whoever laps water, all the lappers versus the kneelers, the number of those who lapped with their hands and their mouth was 300 men. And all the rest of the troops knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and hand meeting over to you. Everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites, but kept 300 troops. Now let me ask you a question. How many people have ever heard a sermon on Gideon before? Let me see your hands. Ooh, it's all the people in the front. All right. All the hardcore Christians down here in the front. If you ever hear a story, a sermon on Gideon, usually it goes something like this. 300, they got down on one knee like this. They were drinking water like this. Like they were vigilant. Had their weapon right there at their side. 
They were the best of the best. They were the Green Berets. They were the Navy SEALs. We took those 300. That's all we really needed. You know what I say? I say that's wrong. Because the point of the story is not that God took the best. The point of the story is God took what was weak. And the whole point of the story is God just got it down to 300 people. And you ain't going to get much weaker than that when you're going up against 135,000. And the real question is, what's God trying to say? And, and here's what God's trying to say. And the point of the whole story is this, that it's only when you're weak can you truly know the strength of God. It's only when you're weak can you truly come to know God's strength. If you can do it yourself, then you can do it yourself, and you'll never really have to have God show up in your life in the reality of God. But when you're weak and God does it, then you come to know the strength of God. There's no way Gideon's going to defeat 135,000 troops with 300 people and take credit for it. He's going to do it, and at the end of the day, he's going to say, man, there's no possible way I could have ever done that. God gets all the glory. I just have the privilege of being able to work alongside of him. God gets all the glory. Why do you got to me? Because you'll take credit for it. We got to go down because there's something in us that wants to take credit for it. Look what I did for God. So God cranks it all the way down where there's no possible way that man could take credit for it. And in the process, Gideon came to know the strength of God. Who could do that but God alone? And the reason I say that is because this is exactly how God grows us in our walk with Jesus. He asks us to do something that we don't want to do. He asks us to do something that we can't do. But when you, by faith, like Gideon, attempt it, and God does it through you by his strength, then you come to know the reality of God in your own life. Man, there had to be some force, some power, something outside of me that accomplished that because I didn't have the ability to do that. It's also, number two, the basis of how salvation works, right? Salvation, the gospel says, no way you can save yourself. The gospel says that there's something in us that's so broken that there's none who seek God, no, not one, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And no matter how good I am, I'm not good enough to get to heaven. What I really need is a Savior, and God in His grace sent me a Savior. His name is Jesus. In other words, when I was, before I gave my life to Jesus, I had a pastor ask me one day. First of all, he asked me if he thought I was going to heaven. And I'd been raised in church. I knew the alternative. So I said, well, I think so. And then he asked me this question. This is the question I want to ask you today. He said, if you were standing before God right now, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If you were standing before God right now and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Just go ahead and formulate your answer. And I'll tell you what I said. I said, I think I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a pretty good guy. There was lots of things wrong with that particular answer. The first thing was, I wasn't a very good guy. I thought I was a pretty good guy in my own mind, but when I look back at the life I was living when I was 24 years old, 
I didn't have a snowball's snowball chance in hell of making it into heaven on my own merit. But, but see, the problem with it was my theology. I thought that heaven had something to do with me and how I lived. That I could get to heaven by my own strength. That I had the power to live a certain way. That if I lived a certain life, that if I was good enough, that I was better than that guy. That somehow I was going to get to heaven based on what I did. I just didn't realize how weak I really was. That there's nothing I could do in the spiritual realm that would actually get me into heaven. Because I just didn't have the power. Because something in me, inherently in all of us, is so broken that it keeps us from ever being. There's only one person that's ever good enough to get to heaven by how he lived his life. One person, and that's Jesus. And that one person, Jesus, chose to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So that through him, we might get to heaven. Because we are weak, but he is strong. And when we acknowledge our weakness, until we acknowledge our weakness, we cannot ever experience the strength of God in our life. We have to come to the point where we say, I cannot do this. I can't be good enough. I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to trust it all on Jesus. And in the moment that that takes place, God does something in you that you can never do for your own. He does it by your, His grace. This is how God works, and this is the principle of the gospel. We're weak. He is strong. When we turn unto him by faith, and he does something in us that we can never do, and we come to know him in such a radical new way, the Bible calls it being born again. And thirdly, that's what leads us to worship. Like if I came to you, and I said, hey, man, I got a deal for you. I'm going to pay one of your monthly bills. Okay, the extent to which you would be overjoyed about that would be determined by what bill I was going to pay. In other words, if I said, I'm going to pay a monthly bill, and you said, okay, what bill are you going to pay? And I said, your Netflix bill. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, I forgot I even had Netflix. <laughs> right? But if I came to you and said, dude, I'm... I'm paying your rent or your mortgage or your student loans or your college education, and I'm going to lump it all together for the rest of the year, and I'm paying it all. You'd be like, now, now we're talking about something, right? Now you've got something to be excited about because of what's been paid. If you can get a sense of what Jesus really paid for you, of where you really were, if you could think back to your life before you gave your life to Jesus and the attitude and the thought process and the life you were actually living at that moment and you were to see the depravity that was really within you and the darkness that was really within you and the attitude you had toward God that was really in you and you see what God forgave you of, your only response to that would be just to worship, Right? When you see how weak you really were and what God had to do for you, the response to that is worship. I'm going to have our band come back out as I close. I'm just saying, if you could just see for a moment the true condition of your soul before you met Jesus and to see the price that he paid for you, then the response to that would be, dude, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll take on 300 with 130, I'll take on 135,000 with 300 troops. 
I'll charge hell with a water pistol. I'll do whatever you ask me to do because what you did for me makes it all worth it. If you want me to serve, I'll serve. If you want me to, to do this, I'll do that. If you want me to do this, I'll do that. And when you do that, then you come to know God in the process. And all that makes you want to do is worship him more. So as we close out in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to do this last song, which is going to be awesome. But before we do it, man, I just want to ask a question. Maybe you're here today. And you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Why not you? Why not you? Why not you right now just to acknowledge that you need a Savior? Why not you right now just to turn from your sin and say, man, I'm trusting in Jesus because I'm weak and I need his strength. And the instant you by faith turn that corner, everything changes in your life. Why not you? Why not you right now? What's keeping you from doing that? Just to turn from your sin and trust it all in Jesus because you're weak, but he is strong and he'll do it for you when you acknowledge your weakness and look to him for his strength. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to close us out with this prayer. Then we're going to do this last song and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great song. Father, I just want to pray for the people in this room. For anybody in here that's never trusted in in Jesus, why not them right now? It's not based on it's not based on them or what they've done. It's based on what you've done for us on the cross, and the price has already been paid. All we have to do is, is by faith accept it. Turn from our sin, trust in you as Lord. Recognize we're weak, that He is strong, and He wants by His grace to do something else we don't deserve. I pray for those in the room that are believers, that God's calling them to something more, that they would have faith to take that step of faith and do whatever it is you're asking them to do, that they could hear your voice and respond, that you might be glorified in how they live their lives, high and lifted up. Father, we ask that you would work in their lives. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.